Welcome back, everybody, to So Every Soul Sings, Worship for the Real Church. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Bethany Pedigo, and I'm here with my friend, Broad Ellis. And I don't know when you all are listening to this, but right now in Bowling Green, Kentucky, it is really cold. <laughs> really, really cold. Broad, have you ever heard the story about the competition between the wind and the sun? I don't think so, but I can't wait to hear it. Tell me. So the north wind said to the sun, hey, let's make a bet. I bet that I can make this man, see this man walking down the road? I can make him take off his coat or I can blow his coat off, basically. And the sun said, okay, well, let's see you try. So the north wind blows and blows and blows and the man just clutched his coat like closer and closer because he was freezing to death but the wind couldn't blow off his coat. And then the sun said, let me try. And he just began to warm the place where the man was walking to the point where the man got a little uncomfortably warm in his coat and took off his coat. Wow. Chava, I never heard that story. I don't know. <laughs> to me, it is a, a great um, a way to demonstrate that, uh, you, what is it? You win more flies with honey than vinegar. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or working with people doesn't have to be adversarial, even though people can be very difficult. And we acknowledge that. Uh, however, what, what are some yes, of the best be. ways <laughs> that you have discovered to approach ministry looking for allies instead of adversaries? I feel like I do this all the time with my children as their parent, mm. you know, let's look for ways that we can work together and sort of win them over on an issue instead of just stomping my foot down and saying, because I said, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. I, gosh, I wish I had known so much of this so long ago. Um, I, I think for me, it is simply um, it's a mindset change that I need to make more than it is people I need to find. So my, um, I, I'm an Enneagram three, which means I'm an achiever or a performer by personality. And that means I have a very deep sense of competition. It's also hard for me to receive the words slow down or no. I don't like those words. I don't like them in any part of my life. I don't like them when I'm driving down the road. I don't like mm. them when it comes to leadership decisions. I don't like that. I, I just don't like them. And it is a constant battle internally for me to be able to say slow down or no. And sometimes that battle is greatly exaggerated because I have not slowed down well or told myself no well. And so then others around me and leadership at the church, whatever church I'm serving, including this one, have to find ways to tell me to slow down or to tell me no. And I just don't like them. I, I love to get things done. In fact, I will go out of my way to get things done that probably aren't really all that important to get done because I just like to get things done. So for me as a human, so much of this is an internal battle that I need to recognize. I am creating adversaries if I don't create allies. So instead I want mm. to flip a bit of a switch and work with people to get, um, guess what's that word, a uh, buy-in or to galvanize a team or to mm -hmm. get folks to 
to grow into the same vision. Mm -hmm. I think what I'm discovering is that if I can cast a compelling enough vision and give that vision enough time, then I can have ample allies to accomplish the agreed upon vision at the agreed upon time. My trouble is often I have a great idea, or at least I think it is, about two weeks later than I should of something that needs to happen within just a few days. And then I just want to mm. work like crazy to make it happen instead of giving it time and space to breathe. And what that has done for me is created adversaries. And I want to, again, shift the way that I think so that I am taking the time and space required to have allies who will help me accomplish the vision here's here's um <laughs> here's the confession uh this is i think the seventh church i've worked in full-time and i have yet to get this right but i think i'm on the cusp of it now and because of that i have six prior ministries full-time worship ministry positions where i have a little bit of ptsd and that every committee I interact with, I expect to be adversarial. Now, that may be my own fault. It may be because I created an adversarial relationship on the front end, and it just got worse and worse. It may be because I was in an extremely unhealthy church, and there were a mm -hmm. bunch of adversarial people around, and they were the ones who were in positions of influence. It doesn't really matter why, where the dynamic started. What matters for me at this point in my ministry is that I find ways to build alliances with the people who are already on my side anyway, mm -hmm. that I need to find ways to build alliances with people who have the very best interest of our church in their heart and in their mind and in their soul. And instead of trying to be combative, to be cooperative. And, <laughs> and I just feel like, and, and maybe it, it may just be a me thing. And I guess we'll know depending on how many people listen to this episode and share it with others, <laughs> but I have a sense that I'm not the only one who has this experience in ministry. I really think at some level, those of us who are in leadership, kind of regardless of what staff position, we just walk into any church position, especially if it's full time, expecting there to be an adversarial relationship with a committee. And I'm just here to say, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the way God designed it. I don't think it's the way most churches want it to be. And no, I think and those of us helpful. who serve, yeah, and those of <laughs> us who serve in ministry as, as paid, especially full-time paid people, I think we sometimes just um, we contribute to an unhealthy, unhealthy dynamic rather than re-envisioning what could be a far healthier dynamic, and then doing the hard work to bring that about. And that's that's kind of a bit of my 2021 goal being spilled out for people to see before I accomplish it. So I hope I, I'm able to do that well this year. But I, I really, really want to think carefully about how I can um, maximize the relationships that are potentially mine and already mine so that we can together agree upon and then engage in the vision for worship ministry in my case or whatever ministry you have in in your place does all that make sense is it do i sound like i'm just weird and in a have have had a rough way of going you you know a lot of worship leaders <laughs> no i i think it's good to think about it first of all and to sort of analyze where your starting point is um and then to orient 
your motives, I think, not you, you know, sure. I mean, unless oh. you need to, <laughs> right. but right. yeah, well, because I think people who are like you, um, who are very um, motivated by what they can accomplish, I think the tendency, the weakness um, for those people is to treat people like means to an end mm-hmm. instead of as image bearers of right. a God who's so holy that he dwells in unapproachable light. Right. And, Absolutely. and I think if, if that remains front and center, then it will save somebody like you from falling into manipulation tactics because yeah. you could probably do some things that would get people on your side in order to get things done that would not be God honoring or mm-hmm. honoring of that person, but you might get your stuff done. Right. And I like to get stuff done. I, I really do. I like, I like to, I like to leave a trail of accomplishments behind me and they don't even have to be glorious, amazing, wonderful, just get things done. And I'm learning <laughs> that that's not necessarily the healthiest way to be in the world. <laughs> uh, this, this whole conversation reminds me of a phrase that I first loved and now hate, and I'm guessing that all of you listening have heard it, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is permission. And I agree, it's definitely easier. I just don't think yep. that's godly. No. I, I think it's, it's very unchristian. And, and I use that mm-hmm. advisedly because that's strong language. Mm-hmm. But my goodness, every time I assume upon someone else to forgive something that I did not ask their permission for, I have just gosh, I've treated them like they are less than me. And I've treated them as if the, the forgiveness Jesus died on a cross to make possible is cheapened by my assumption that somebody's going to give it to me. And that may sound heavy. And I think it is. And I don't want it to be, be. Yeah, I just, I don't want to be the guy who says, oh, well, it's easier to ask permission or easier to ask forgiveness than it is permission. I want to ask permission. That doesn't mean I'm doing it well. You guys have picked up on this already, I'm sure. And if you go to my church, you probably know this about me. It doesn't mean that I'm doing it well. It just means that I am committed to doing it well. And I want to learn. And I want to, part of it for me is slowing myself down because I do love to go fast. And, and the, more, the faster I go, the more accomplishments I can leave in my wake. Mm-hmm. Um, they, that may not mean that they're the right accomplishments. And I need mm-hmm. to trust the people around me to discern that. Some, sometimes the reason I'm too busy is because I just like to be too busy and, and that's not healthy and it's not helpful. Right. And it sure doesn't help in the dynamic of any church because churches are understandably and wisely slow moving organizations. They want to be careful. Yeah. We're, if you're talking about, for example, the use of people's time, there is no greater resource that people have in our day and age than their time. So why would we be wasteful with hundreds or thousands of hours of people's time by making Mm -hmm. unwise decisions? Let's just not stop. I I don't mean that we quit doing things, but let's just do things in a way that is timely so that we can honor the time of the people who are a part of it. And and the same thing goes with money. When, When I make a decision about how to spend somebody else's money that they have tithed to a church, 
that should be a weighty decision. That's not something yes. that we should do. And then, you know, well, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than this permission. I, I want to ask for permission. <laughs> These are people who have sacrificed severely to make it possible for us to spend, you know, $20 on a chart for a song that we want to do for a special event or mm-hmm. $2,000 for this piece of equipment that we really, really do need. But wait, let's just ask the question, do we really need it? Or do we just think it's cool? And, you know, I, all of those things, I think are really important for developing a posture of alliance rather than adversary. Mm-hmm. You so mentioned trust, mm, being yeah. able to trust the people that are around you and other people in positions of leadership, whether they're staff or volunteers. I think that's right. important to maintain that. And I think that helps say, you know, in parenting, but also in marriage, it's very easy to get into this adversarial, you know, very destructive cycle with your spouse. But if you trust that person, then you, you don't want to manipulate them to get your way. You want to be a team. You want to have a team. You want to make decisions as a team and you want to cultivate trust in that relationship instead of find all the little ways that you can, why you shouldn't trust that person. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you brought it back to marriage and family because I, I, I have, um, I've been through a season in my marriage where I was not trustworthy and we had to rebuild what trust looked like. It's been a very, very long time. Um, and trust takes a long time to build. And I learned that in my marriage and need to remember it in my ministry that if trust is broken it's able to be healed I I promise it is but it's just one of the slowest things in the world that gets restored you can restore a lot of things before you can restore trust Mm -hmm. and so be trustworthy be the kind of person that someone else trusts with their future and with their time and with their money and with their decisions Um, surround yourself with people that you trust in like manner and i Sometimes you don't get to pick those people, mm-hmm. but certainly to some extent you do. And so create a wisdom council for yourself. Somebody, a personal advisory board, one productivity guru calls it a, a PAB. Um, you know, find some folks who are great at the things that you want to be great at in five or 10 or 20 or 30 years. And then just ask them questions and make sure they're trustworthy. And I think that's a really, really important differentiator um, and and healthy and the more I am trusting of others the more I am willing to be slowed down and told no Mm. and so I have to put myself in a position where I do trust the people around me because they can help me Mm -hmm. if I'll let them and I I, again (laughs) I I just want to be I want to be the kind of guy that lets them yeah you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink. Yeah, you really can't. I've tried so many times. <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing how many times. There's one more dynamic in this whole kind of forgiveness permission or ally versus adversary that has come up repeatedly in my ministry experience. And again, I mentioned earlier PTSD. Again, I don't do that lightly. Um, I asked my therapist about that. And I said, you know, is it feasible that the symptoms are the same? For somebody who has been in a worship ministry position through the worship wars, we call them wars on purpose. Like that, it's a terrible name, and I hate that we've lived through 
hopefully we're on the mm -hmm. side of most of the other of that. Um, but there is a soldiering effect, and I have been chewed Wounded. up and spit out dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of times. I probably don't know about, but a few, a small percentage of the ones that I have. Um, and so there is this sense in which when somebody pushes on a particular part of my ministry, it's as if they're really pushing hard on a bruise. And that's kind of what PTSD feels like. There are differing levels of PTSD. I have not been in combat in Afghanistan. I don't know what that's like. I don't think that they're the same. Please, if you are a veteran, thank you for your service. And I'm not equating my woundedness to what you saw or experienced. They are not the same. On the other hand, there are shadows of what that kind of battle experience carries that, that those of us in worship ministry, perhaps more than any other ministry in the church, still carry. And so one of the places that shows up in my life is when somebody asks me a question. Mm -hmm. And typically, in my context, that question is simply a question. There's no agenda. There's no anger. There's no hurt. There's no frustration. There's just a question. But because of my decades of having questions asked in other ways, I tend to respond as if somebody is attacking me rather than simply questioning me. And I just want to say that creates more adversaries and fewer allies. So when you're asked a question, if it feels like you're being attacked, take a step back, maybe even physically, but certainly emotionally, take a step back, take a breath, and just remember, this is an opportunity to answer a question. And that's all it is. And answer the question that's been asked. You don't have to answer all the questions that aren't being asked. Unless you have a gift of the spirit of discernment in the moment to ask a question that is behind the question, like Jesus did all the time. And I don't think that's normal, but I do think it happens. And so if that happens, trust the Holy Spirit's leadership and, and go there. But in general, if somebody just says, gosh, it seemed like the music was louder than usual today. Was it? You know, that person might have been upset that it was too loud or a little disappointed that it hasn't been that loud all along. And you don't know the answer to that. So mm -hmm. don't assume, don't assume the intent behind the question, simply answer the question and do that as unemotionally as you possibly can. And you might discover that in answering questions with grace and gentleness, I think the Bible has something to say about that in Peter. Um, <laughs> I think if you will answer questions that way, you will discover that you are building allies slowly, properly, again, not manipulatively, you're just telling the truth, but you're doing it in a way that honors the person who asks the question. This is a very unflattering picture, but when you were saying that, I thought about how if if you or someone <laughs> doesn't have mm -hmm. to be you, I you know, you think <laughs> okay. So if you think in yep. your mind that what you have planned is the perfect, perfectest uh, thing ever. Yeah. And the way that you want to do it is the perfectest way ever. I don't even think that's a word, perfectest. But just it go with now. it. Okay. So in your head, you have a plan and a method that are the perfectest. And someone asks a question, then it will seem to you like they are arguing with you. Right. Mm -hmm. Saying to you, say, well, your thing's not maybe perfect and your method is not maybe perfect. <laughs> but if you 
you or someone or someone. Ra's never going to talk to me again, y'all. After we <laughs> finish this podcast, he's going to be like, you hurt my feelings. No, I'm just kidding. Um, if you or anybody who else who is watching, listening, watching, listening to this, if you allow room, right, in your version of events that possibly maybe it's not the perfectest or maybe somebody might have a better idea, then when that person asks you a question, you could maybe be curious or possibly even excited mm. instead of frustrated or angry or hurt. Yeah, so... Yeah, he's um, never going to talk to me again, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I can see him and I'm looking at his face and he's like, yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, that just eats my lunch um, because it's just so true. <laughs> It's really interesting. It's really interesting that you would um, share that because literally within the last week, I think for the first time in my life, I have thought I walk into conversations with ideas that I want to make, I want everybody to be wowed by the idea and it to stand as it is. And it's kind of irrelevant what the idea is. It could be the way that something looks in a worship gathering, or it could be the way that I orchestrate a song, or it could be the way that I plan a service, or it could be a concept. I just, I have this um, deep-seated insecurity remaining in me that makes, that wants to impress people more than serve people. Mm. And if I share an idea and they are not impressed, or even if they are impressed, but they see holes in it or shortcomings in it or a better way, then mm. I feel like I am less of a whatever person, worship pastor, creative servant, Christian than I am because I didn't have the perfect idea. Mm. I suspect, listener, that while this is utterly true of me, and I will be going to therapy <laughs> next week to get over this. Um, <laughs> I suspect that if it is, even though it is utterly true of me, if you are a creative in any way, shape, or form, if you are a creative, this is true of you too. And it may not be as deeply true, and it may not be as woundedly true, and all of those things. But I think that's part of the creative process. We write a song, or we write a yes. poem, or we paint a painting. Yes. Or we craft a service. And it's very, very, very much as if we have just given birth to something that we think is just the most amazing thing ever. And then we have to share it with somebody mm -hmm. and they have to react to it. And it's why thousands of artists through the centuries died and nobody got to see their art because they were brilliant at creating it, but terrified to share it. And it's why a lot of other artists have shared their art and then they've chosen to just go sell insurance because <laughs> they couldn't handle it because it is mm -hmm. so vulnerable. Yeah. And I, I just think vulnerability, uh, Brene Brown, by the way, go check out Ted talks, mm -hmm. forgive the two or three um, cuss words that she'll use in the Ted talk. Um, but just check out Brene Brown and the study that she's done as a sociologist about vulnerability. And you will discover that there is greater intimacy on the other side of vulnerability. There is greater power on the other side of vulnerability. There's greater ministry. 
she probably wouldn't use that word, but we can mm -hmm. on the other side of vulnerability. Um, there's just a lot of risk and you have to decide if the risk is worth it or not. And I think Bethany's challenge to me, to me, to me and to you guys too, is, uh, <laughs> is um, a very welcome addition to this part of the conversation. And I think and, that's and enough. If, if you <laughs> and uh, listener, if you will go back and look for our series of podcasts that we did with Craig and Heather Bitterling, they talk quite a bit about the artistic temperament and some things to keep in mind uh, and, and possibly about yourself, but also when you are approaching other people that you work with in ministry that are creatives at heart. It's just a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah, that's somewhere around episode 46, 47, 48, just in that ballpark with Craig and Heather from Arts Alive. And those, and they are just brilliant. And it was so good. I love that content. Thanks for listening, y'all. I, I hope this is extraordinarily practical and really, really, really where the rubber meets the road. If you're a part of Woodburn Baptist Church Ministry, you've heard this from me. Hold me accountable. Ask me how I'm doing. Remind me to slow down or stop. Um, encourage me to take some space and give some space and to, to take the time and space that it takes to do this hard work of um, avoiding unnecessary adversarial relationships. Closing thought. And I may have shared this in one of the first handful of podcasts we ever did. My pastor, Tim Harris, once said to me, oh. I never want to say something... Hmm, yeah, we, we went like two episodes in a row without mentioning his name. That, that's never uh, Yeah, he, <laughs> he said to me, I never want to say something in a meeting on a Tuesday night that disqualifies me from walking into a hospital on Wednesday morning and visiting somebody who had a heart attack who was in that meeting. Mm -hmm. That's adversarial. We want to have conversations with the people we serve in such a way that it never disqualifies us from being able to minister to people in a whole and healthy relationship. And I have done that. I have violated that trust. And I am sad about that. And, and I look forward to, in every way that I can, rebuilding um, any fractured relationship with anybody in my church, in my ministry, in my past. Uh, I would just like to not have any at all in the future. And I hope this podcast helps you along that same quest. Any closing thoughts, Bethany? Just uh, listeners, if, if this has particularly ministered to you, reach out to us and let us know. We uh, would always love to hear your comments, questions that you might have. I feel like this is a very personal one uh, for a lot of people listening, yeah. and not just for you, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> so. Good thing we're friends. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad. I, I'm too. And I agree with that and, and affirm that. You can find me. Uh, my email address is rodellis at gmail.com. My cell phone number is 502-229-0114. Um, if it's been helpful for you and you can think of somebody else that might benefit from it, we would just ask you to share it because it is one of those topics that I don't Please. hear talked about ever. But it mm. just seems like it could be so helpful. And, and I don't say that because um, we're saying something special, but just because we're saying something faithful. 
and maybe that can prove to be true for friends and family that you may have in some kind of volunteer or part-time or full-time ministry role as well. Let's, uh, the kingdom of God is too important. Let's, as, as my pastor said yesterday, get over yourself um, in this sermon. <laughs> I loved it. I think it was the fourth or fifth point oh, of the sermon. Get over yourself. Yeah. Um, I just, I think that we just need to get over ourselves and, um, and build alliances that build God's kingdom instead of trying to get things done that we think are important. And hopefully they align and, and they are very much the same. So thanks for listening. Uh, it's been a long episode this time and you have been gracious to stay to the end. Uh, so every soul sings. Can you imagine how many more souls would be singing if we walked through our days building allies and never